0: Picture this. You're sitting in your math class, and the teacher just handed you your final exam. You're looking at the first question, but the Sinex and Cosex just don't make sense to you. You suddenly think about the banana peel you left under your bed last night that your mom is probably going to yell at you for. But none of this matters because all you've been thinking about is Stacy, the girl of your dreams. You're about to go on your first date tonight, and she is my buddy's best friend, stress, our unwanted visitor. Okay, welcome back to the Marcel Mondays Podcast. I'm your host, Marcel, aka Marcus Hernandez, and I'm joined here today with Sarah Place. She is a counselor here at Mountainside Secondary, as well as Squamish. Thank you for coming on, Sarah.
1: Thanks for having me, Marcus. I'm so happy to be part of this.
0: (laughs) Um, Okay, and today we're going to be talking about the science response and management of stress. Sarah, take it away in the science.
1: Well, I loved how you said that there are real scientific reasons why these are particularly stressful things that you identified in your introduction there. They're specifically stressful to us when we're teenagers or youth um, for really scientific reasons. Our brain is going through a whole bunch of changes at this time and layer onto that we got hormones and we got all kinds of additional stressors going on in our lives. So I'm happy to sort of touch on some of the things that I've researched and learned about the brain science of teenagers, but I want to say for sure that I am not an expert, and I hope it's (laughs) okay to be on your podcast, but not be an absolute expert in this area.
0: Oh, no, that's totally fine. Like the the students who are listening aren't, you know, professional scientists who are going to (laughs) critic your ability to know stress, only looking for you know, these rough ideas so these students can understand what's going on for Um, them, right?
1: I can definitely give you the broad brushstrokes and I can tell you that I wish I knew some of these things when I was a teenager so that I could have explained a little bit to my parents about what was going on for me. (laughs) So the first and most important thing for us to know is that um, new research is showing us that our brains are, are plastic, which means they're they call it neuroplasticity, which means that they're growing and changing and developing over time. And throughout our whole childhood, we don't even know that this is happening, it's automatically happening in a, inside our brain, but there's a scientific process going on called synaptogenesis, where our brains are basically growing and 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 idea, new ideas and new ways of being and um, new memories are being formed all of the time. And this is occurring through um, through cell bodies de- growing and developing and changing and attaching to each other. What's interesting about being a teenager is that this synaptogenesis begins to change from growing to pruning. And that means that we're basically starting, instead of having these cells grow and grow and grow and multiply, we're starting to um, organize and streamline our brains and actually get rid of synaps- synapses that are no longer useful to us. Mm-hmm. Okay, so the way I like to think about it is as though it's the desktop on your computer and it's full of individual files. And you look at your desktop and it's all messy and there's millions of individual files open. And we decide we're going to start the process of organizing these files into file folders. And we start to drag and drop the files into file folders. And we might also delete some of those files. We don't need them anymore. And so this neural or synaptic pruning process is really similar to clearing up our desktop in our brains. And it it takes a lot of neural energy to do this. So it means that it it changes the way that we focus, and it changes what we're interested in doing. And it changes how we learn because we're no longer little sponges interested in learning everything. We're starting to refine what we're interested in and what we are willing to focus on.
0: And I 100% agree just being, you know, a learner at high school that you do start to dive into these focuses and what you actually want to do with your, your time. And I know for me personally, I love science. So this is so much fun for me just listening. But science and math, I really enjoy just focusing on and the English side of things is not really my specialty so having this kind of background knowledge of what my brain's actually doing and pruning these kind of core ideas from so much mumble jumble to just kind of more clear. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: It, I wonder if anyone out there can relate to this fight that I had with my mom when I was about 11 or between the ages of 11 and 13 I would say and I didn't want to play the violin anymore. But my mom was like convinced that I had to continue playing the violin. It was no longer even remotely part of, you know, the umbrella of what I was interested in. And the fight and the stress and the tension between my mom and I over this instrument, I still have it on my wall. And when I look at, when I look at it, I think, Oh, there's that violin that I kind of still wish I played. But I also remember that argument with my mom being so profound that I was no longer curious or interested in in playing the violin anymore and it is part of that shifting into what am i actually curious about what i'm actually interested in and who am i as an individual so yeah it's an important it's an important part of our our development
0: completely does this lead into the response of how we deal with the the science of what's going on in there so how do we respond and you know when i'm feeling stressed how do i manage that. So what happens in the response?
1: It absolutely leads into our stress response and, and and how our brains fire up in order to make us feel safe. I think the the next step to kind of consider before we jump into that might be understanding that the part of our brain that holds where we have our stress response Our and our emotional response is called our limbic system. So it's an important piece because it's fully developed by the time we're teenagers. And that's in order to keep us safe, right? As as animals and (laughs) our cavemen and women out in the wild, we had to have a really fired up stress response in order to keep us safe. Our stress response has not our, our, our limbic system and our amygdala have not developed as quickly as the part of our brain that manages our reasoning and our rationality and our ability to self-regulate. That's our prefrontal cortex. So there's kind of a developmental mismatch there where the part of our brain that is the most easily alarmed, <laughs> the loudest alarm bells that might go off, is actually so much more powerful than the part of our brain that allows us to de-stress and calm down and self-regulate. So that part of our brain is still developing all the way until we're 24 or so. So just to dive into what a stress response might be like or feel like, it's different for for different people in terms of what it feels like. In terms of the science of what's happening inside of our brain, it's very, very similar in, in all people. And that is that that older part of our brain about a walnut sized piece of our brain at the base of our um or the top of our neck the bottom of our skull called the amygdala fires up and takes over and the the best way of of describing it is actually visually looking at your fist and and if you put your thumb you make the like the number 4 put your thumb in the middle of your of your palm and wrap your fingers around your thumb that kind of looks like a little bit of a fist brain. So if you imagine your wrist is where the amygdala is, and it's kind of attached to where your thumb is, your prefrontal cortex is those fingers wrapping around your thumb. It's protecting that stress response, that fear that lives inside of all of us that protects us if we're in a truly stressful situation. When we are stressed and we kind of start to ramp up and lose control, what happens is Our thumb flips up over top of our fingers. The amygdala takes over our prefrontal cortex. And we generally have three uh, common stress responses. The three Fs, fight, flight, or freeze. And we all kind of need to stop and think about which one's our dominant one. We often do all three at different stages. But we want to think about what's our dominant one, and we want to know it really well. Do you know what yours is?
0: I mean, there's different (laughs) situations for everything, right? But I would say I'm more of a flight kind of person. I haven't been in many physical fights, but the physical fights I have been in, it's my whole body wants to just get out of there. And I'm not, maybe that's just my personality, that I'm not wanting to, I guess, break discourse on other people. So that's kind of the reaction I have inside myself, is that flight kind of added attitude i guess get Uh, me out of here get me out of here exactly yeah Yeah. do you have one specifically
1: yeah i think that mine is freeze most of the time and what i'm working on with my freeze is to buy myself a little bit of time so actually flight and and freeze are very different freeze is a parasympathetic response which means our whole body is is frozen and And the reason that we would do that say like if you think about an animal in the wild they have a very similar stress response that we have fight flight or freeze are the main options yeah and um so in the in the wild fight is pretty obvious you think you could take your competitor right (laughs) um flight is i don't think i can take my competitor i'm out of here both of which you're you have control over your body Mm -hmm. um freeze your whole body actually freezes, your heart rate drops. It's a parasympathetic response. It, and the and the service in the wild would be the gazelle is out running the lion. The lion catches up. The gazelle plays dead. Lion thinks gazelle is dead. So he goes off to get the rest of the pride, giving the gazelle the chance to get out a dodge. So freeze is an interesting one because if you get ahead of it, and this is similar to all three stress responses, if you get ahead of it, and you can find the words to buy yourself a little bit of time to calm yourself down and think about what you really need or feel in that moment, you can often recover and 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 see what you really need, see what you really feel, rather than that automatic high-stress response. Yeah.
0: And do you, one question I do have is do you think – as humans, we could almost control the stress response. We can actually like pick what we want to feel in that situation. Is that an option for us?
1: That's such a good question, Marcus. I I think it's all a process. And there are there are people out there who work so hard on managing their stress in a healthy way. And they get good at navigating how to how to respond in any given situation. And I can think of people that I've worked with, um, you know, especially at in, in Sea to Sky, teachers and, and administrators that you've gotten to work with growing up who are experts at managing stressful situations. And I can think of even powerful, powerful people out in the world. And I think, well, how does Obama do that? I want to read his book because I want to I know, know yeah. how does he stay so cool and calm? And so I do think that there are people that can that can practice and work at managing stress and how to. Stay truly themselves even when the heat is on
0: yeah and that's that's actually a perfect point for these teenagers is this is something I mean adults are still working on how to manage stress mm-hmm. and I think getting this idea in their heads right now mm-hmm. is such a beneficial thing mm-hmm. awesome <laughs> that's making me swell
1: yeah I think it's the most important thing. I really do. And I mean, I'm sure if you talk to a nutritionist, they would say eating your broccoli and knowing how your body digests it is <laughs> the most important thing. So you're talking to someone who truly, truly believes that if we understand our brain, we understand how it works, we understand a little bit about it, it's going to improve the quality of our life because it means that we can navigate and manage and be more successful yes. at whatever we define that to be.
0: Oh, yeah. I Could that like tie into rational thought? Like you're just, I guess freeze in a way, when you freeze, you're going over all the outcomes that can happen in that situation. So is freeze maybe the best alternative to a stress response? I don't know.
1: So in our society, certainly um, we have different stress responses that are appropriate in different um arenas, right? So freeze actually it might look like the person is thinking, but true freeze response, I I don't think the person They're is freaking able to. out. They're freaking <laughs> out. They're they're so far gone. And they wish they could remember what they wanted to say that was profound or important or the right thing. But freeze is a true frozen. It's just as froze it's just as shut down mm. as running or fighting. So In our society, though, it's interesting to pay attention to what is appropriate and when and how we manage stress is is really important because to be socially acceptable in a lot of situations, we need to be able to manage our stress so that we don't explode in the moment, we don't shut down in the moment, we don't run away. We can oftentimes push through our stress. And deal with what's going on in a in a healthy way, in the moment, adaptive way. You know, your boss is freaking out and you've got something you've got to do immediately or you forgot to do. You know, it, it might trigger you. It might make you angry. It might make you want to quit and run away. <laughs> it might make you want to shut down. But in that moment, you do what your boss says and you get over the hurdle of it. One really healthy thing to know is that we do have to finish that stress response later on. We do have to allow our bodies to release it and we can't hold on to it forever and so it is important to include exercise or creativity or social connection into our lives in ways that allow us to dispel that stress that we can hold on to so there's healthy ways to respond to stress and there's also preferred stress responses in our society but all of them are ones that we want to learn more about and understand for our own way of being
0: yeah and one thing I do notice at high school all the time is this idea of holding in, holding in stress, I guess people aren't or one thing is like you're afraid to cry, you hold in your tears. And I think that's almost wrong in a way. I When I encourage people when they're saying these things, I encourage them to just let it out because as these things build up, it explodes. You can only hold something in for so long, right? Yes,
1: that's exactly right. And it it might explode in fight or it might implode something in our body, right? Some, an autoimmune disease. It could be all of a sudden we just shut down into a depression. It could be external or it could be internal. External being like fighting, yelling, crying. Internal being, you know, shutting down, not able to leave our bedroom, um, not able to connect to our friends.
0: Yes. Mm -hmm. And it is scary to challenge the stress head on because it's, your driving factor that's making you feel this certain way right that this almost terrible feeling but it's once you challenge it where you see the most success of understanding it so i think that's something as not as parents but as as we bring up children that we struggle with is uh encouraging our our students and our children to tackle this stress and understand what's happening with it and obviously you can't do it alone as a teenager you need those resources mm-hmm. so you know walking into mountainside secondary i'm seeing all these you know counselor portals that students have access to and i just think that's so brilliant mm-hmm. that students you know have this right and have this like opportunity to go seek help if they need help mm-hmm. and that's something i think that throughout the next couple of years that we need to work on bringing to every school mm-hmm.
1: It's really wise of you to notice that, Marcus, and to notice that there are times when we can prevent ourselves from getting stressed out. And we're going to talk about that a little bit, I know. But there are times when we've actually just reached our boiling point and our breaking point, and the emotions are coming out. Think back to when you were like four years old and, you know, something happened to your truck, it broke, or, you know, something happened where you couldn't get exactly what you wanted, your needs couldn't be met. And the tantrum, the explosion there, what's what's important is allowing our children to experience those emotions and encouraging them that emotions are safe and natural and normal. They're not something to be ashamed of or afraid of or to push down. And that goes uh, throughout life, right? We do get better at managing our stress So we do get better at managing our disappointment <laughs> when things don't go wrong or when things do go wrong. But I think that we shouldn't ever stop feeling our feelings and sometimes they're so big and, and we, we like you said we're, we're scared of them because we don't know when they're going to end but the fact is emotions have a beginning a middle and an end and a lot of the times to be appropriate to manage stress appropriately in given situations we need to truncate those emotions we need to stop them in the middle don't let it all come flying out at work don't let it all come flying out at school but find a way for it to all come flying out in a safe place. (laughs) Yes. So you see here at Mountainside that that is part of the thinking of developing the school is that a safe, appropriate place for all of that to come flying out and a safe, appropriate person to catch all of that is so important.
0: A hundred percent.
1: So I know what we wanted to get to with strategies. Yes. And sort of talking about, because we don't always want to have our emotions be a ten. So zero is nothing. That's not super helpful. A 10 is also not super helpful. It means, you know, we've really flipped out and we cannot manage anymore. We're either fighting, fighting, freezing, or I actually have a fourth one. I like to call it babble. Um, (laughs) And I notice when I'm I'm talking too much, I'm like, "Uh uh-oh, you must be stressed. You're babbling again. So I argue now there's a fourth stress response. But I think that the first thing to know is to know yourself really well. So, you know, look at your fist, do your fist brain and think, what is my primary response? And even just knowing that is important to pay attention to. You know, you're you're blitzing out of the room. Something's already happened. So when you're doing that next time, you want to rewind 15 minutes because our bodies often tell us before our, our brains. Our bodies are giving us all kinds of messages. I'm getting too hot. My stomach's getting upset. Oh, look at that! Suddenly, my shoulders are touching my ears. Uh, <laughs> my jaw is clenched. All of these are signs that we're ramping up into stress. And I would say, when your body is starting to tell you that, you're, you should be starting to look for ways to step back from the situation. To so that. You can practice some of the strategies that we wanted to talk about. But the most important thing is starting to learn about yourself, self-awareness, understanding where your self-worth comes from, and understanding what your self-care is like. What do I need in order to feel solid and to feel good? Those are, I think, the most important thing. The next most important thing is learning how to breathe. (laughs) (laughs) And I think it's a funny thing to say because we're all automatically breathing all the time. But when we learn how to breathe with intention, when we learn how to breathe to let go of stress, it's the simplest, cheapest way of taking care of our bodies and taking care of our brains. So it really is inhale through the nose four counts and exhale four counts. If you want to get really crazy, you can do something called box breathing where you inhale for four counts, hold for four counts, exhale for four counts, hold for four counts, and go again. If you can do that two or three times, your heart rate's going to come down. Breathing through your nose sends a message to the amygdala that you're safe because if we're not safe, according to the amygdala out in the wild, you're running. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> Your heart is either stopped because you're frozen or it's pounding because you're fighting. So, to slow our heart rate down by breathing through our nose sends a message to our amygdala that it's okay to let the prefrontal cortex take over, that it's okay for us to start being rational and reasonable and regulated again.
0: Yeah, it takes you out of the moment of that, the heat of that moment, mm-hmm. and you just focus all. I noticed I've done this in the past where I focus on my breathing. But if you really focus on it, exactly what I said, it takes you out of the moment. But your whole body relaxes all the tense. I normally get tense muscles when I get stressed. And that's because sporting events I get pretty stressed at. So normally with the physicality, I, I get the tense muscles. And so I do this, I'll breathe and completely takes me out of the stress and pressure of doing well. And I just focus on one thing at a time. So once I'm done breathing, I'll focus on the next pass or the next shot or whatever I'm doing in the sport. And I, I value that breathing. It's shocking, like something we take for granted every single day that we hardly even notice. The minute you notice it, it does wonders for you. So it's one thing I wanted to just touch on.
1: You're touching on mindfulness and it's so brilliant because it's that idea of just noticing, like you said, exactly what's going on in the moment takes us out of whatever our thoughts are telling us. And sometimes it's our thoughts that are tripping us up and getting us stressed out. It's the story we're telling ourselves about what's going on. And if we just stop and pay attention, okay, I'm breathing, my chest is rising and falling, I'm in this room, you know, hopefully there's a window. (laughs) (laughs) Hopefully you can see a tree blowing in the wind, something that can really ground you and bring you back to the present moment. And that really is the next strategy is Paying attention in a certain way to what's going on right now. I remember learning that in a yoga class when uh, I was in, you know, within my first three classes. My very first class, I thought everyone in that room was crazy. Could not understand what everybody was doing, torturing themselves in this way. And I remember an instructor saying in a particularly challenging posture, even in this moment, you are fine. Even in this moment, you are fine, and it's interesting. It's it's very um, rare for us to be in a moment where we cannot find peace.
0: Yeah, there's yeah, there is always a moment, I guess, if you just make it simple down and not have standards to what peace is. I guess, I guess you could say that. I don't know.
1: Yes, because standards are the story we're we're telling ourselves about what's happening in that moment, and. And how we're valuing that moment. And oftentimes we're also in the other person's business trying to control what they're doing or what they're thinking or what they're saying yeah. rather than owning our own experience right now in this moment. So truly finding that ability to be present. And it, it it is tricky to do in a crowded room. But the more you practice it, like I don't know if you've ever tried to take a deep breath When you're having an argument with someone or when you're about to step up to a microphone, if you're so stressed that it's hard to take a deep breath, you know you're kind of beyond your threshold, (laughs) right? It's a really good time to take just take a moment, take a step back and to find a place to do that. The more you practice, the more you can do it anywhere yes, and the more you can do it sort of subtly so not everyone's knowing. I mean, I've been doing it in the grocery store and I'm just like, okay, I'm being mindful and being present and and no one can see that you're doing it, but it's just grounding yourself and being truly present in that moment.
0: Well, that's the best part of just being alive is you keep all this knowledge and all your thoughts in your brain and no one can ever touch it. So it's kind of a random thought, but I just love that aspect of being alive. You can think whatever you desire and no one will ever know unless you say it. And that can also be trapping for a lot of people. They have all these ideas, but they can't. They feel that they're scared to share it. So the brain is a fantastic, but also horrible instrument that we have.
1: It's a wild and wonderful thing. And the more that I get to know it, just from going back to school and starting to study psychology and and getting interested in brain science, I felt myself become healthier in all sorts of ways because I'm just getting to know my own self by paying attention to my own thoughts and the way that I interpret different situations and just learning how to be gentler with ourselves. And I really hope that that's what youth can take out of this conversation is that, you know, there's reasons we're impulsive during our youth. There's reasons that our peers become more important to us than anyone else. We're branching off from our families, which is a stressful time, stressful thing to do, especially for our parents, believe it or not.
0: I I bet. Yeah.
1: (laughs) So all of these things that you're sort of naming in the beginning, the things that are typically stressing us out, there's really good reasons for all of it. At the root of most of that is that there's so much change going on and change in our bodies, change in our brains, social change, all of those things can create a lot of stress for us, can create a lot of unknowns and a lot of pressure. And so we have to be learn to be very gentle with ourselves and learn to really love and accept who we are. And as soon as we start to do that, the beautiful thing is we start to do it for other people as well. We're far more judgmental Of other people when we're being judgmental with ourselves, and the more we can sort of know about who we are, the gentler we become with ourselves.
0: Interesting. I never really thought about it that way. I guess that does that tie like tie in the kindness. I guess if you're more kind to the people around you, that I guess the better you feel. People always talk about how being nice is the best drug, or I don't know. That's kind of a weird way to put it, but the best kind of feeling for you.
1: Yes, I think it ties into that feeling of generosity. You know, the more you give of yourself, the better you feel. But I actually think it starts with being generous to our own spirit. Yes, yeah. So the first person we have to be generous to is ourselves and to think, what do I really need and what do I really want? And especially as youth are stepping out into independence and adulthood, learning how to meet our own needs first. How do I really take care of myself What are my goals? What are my values? Who do I really want to be? And how do I support myself first in doing that? And that infiltrates the community around you. The more that you're being well, the more you're taking care of yourself, the more it's going to spread kindness, right? If you're kind to yourself, it's going to spread. Yeah.
0: And to touch on that, one thing I do notice at the high schools is uh, kids are either polar opposites. They're either super invested in what their friends are doing and not enough in themselves, or they're too invested in themselves and not enough in their friends. So I think there's this fine line and balance of where to put your energy. And there's like 50% probably in both of understanding, you know, what you want to give out and understanding what people are giving you. And I think that's really something I've valued throughout my life at high school is looking at different people and how they're reacting in situations and what they actually think of themselves and what they think of others. And, but I do preach totally of spending the quality time by yourself to understand who you are. Because that's, you know, the direction you want to go in life. There's so many different directions. But when you spend that time to just focus on yourself and your goals and your visions, your, your passions and what makes you feel healthy, you really find that direction and that, that you know, passion for your life and where you want to take it. And the influence. From those people that you spent your fifty percent on, helps you with that, you know, with that soul searching. I guess I don't know. That's kind of a rough, like, rough idea of what I'm talking about. But that's a vast spectrum of a totally different topic to go into of uh, interpersonal relationships and stuff. But yeah,
1: that's your next podcast. It's, uh, yeah, it's yeah, such that's such a the good next one. topic. Uh, I think it's how great how we how we relate to each other, and we often end up making the mistake of giving the other person what we need rather than paying close attention to the other person and figuring out what it is that they need. yes, And you're sort of touching on that because some people need to be collective. They need to all be together in this deep sense of belonging. And and certainly at, for teenagers, we know that's that wolf pack mentality, right? It's time to kind of leave the parent wolf pack and pack up and, and, and join forces with this new wolf pack. That's the science of the evolution of our species. That's an important step. And there's a lot of push-pull with that, right? And it's not just a clean, one day I walk out the door and that's it. It's a lot of back and forth and, and navigating and negotiating what that means. And then there's also, you know, that the hero's journey of going out on your own and really having that experience of what does it mean to be me? And I hope that happens throughout life and not just, <laughs> not just in this wonderful creative yeah. time of youth, but... Throughout your life, to just step back and say, "Who am I in this group?" Because we know for youth, there's a reason why you know the is it the N or the L on the on the car where you can't drive your friends, right? <laughs> on
0: the L, yeah.
1: So that's just one area of society that's caught on to this challenge that youth don't think is clearly or individually when their friends are around. Yeah. So it is important to take a step back and to check in with ourselves and think. I really want here and what are my values and goals beyond my peer group it's tricky to do though because I, I know how right, important yeah. friends are uh, no yeah
0: I guess we can wrap it up uh one thing I'll just say is that you guys whoever's listening right now you guys are all different and just own that you know when you look around in your classroom or mm-hmm. wherever you're listening to to you know look at yourself in the mirror and just say you're different and understand that and understand what's happening with your stress. And I hope this was educational also fun for you to listen to. I've been Marcel, or Marcus, and I've been joined here today with Sarah Place at Mountainside Secondary. And this has been the third episode of Marcel Mondays. Thank you for listening.